Hello guys, welcome to the Kamas Podcast. My name is June Jirongo and I'm your host. Guys, I know it's been a while since I last posted, but I've been prepping something really dope for you. I have a very special character coming on today, my guest. He's an intellect, he's sociable, he's interesting, and above all, he saves lives for a living. He basically delivers a new life into the hands of a mother around Kenya, and he has so much experience. And I thought it would be really interesting to have on a doctor, someone in the medical profession who can discuss the real situations of the state of you know, medicine in Kenya and those who are employed under this industry. So we had a chat with him and um, he had really interesting points, really interesting things to say. And I hope you guys enjoy it. This is how it went. All right, welcome to Thomas Podcast. Thanks for being my guest today. So kindly... We going to talk about like your masters because you're a doctor, you're doing a masters. Yes, Maybe sir. some people have never heard that doctors do masters in the first place. So, what's your masters on? Where are you doing it? And how long does it take? Great. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Very interesting experience. <laughs> but yes, so um, I am a qualified doctor. That means you've done only undergraduate. Once you're done for specialization, for whatever course you want to take, you do a master's program. Mm -hmm. Specifically, I'm doing mine in University of Nairobi Mm -hmm. in obstetrics and gynecology. It's a four-year program. Wow. Master's is four years. It's four years. Undergrad is? Undergrad. Now, we did it when it was five years, now it's six years. So now, once you learn this, you'll have been in school for nine years. For nine years total. But... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, like I said, my time was five years of undergraduate, mm-hmm. but you're not fully qualified until you do an additional year of internship. So that mm-hmm. makes it six. But yeah. guys who are doing it now, they're doing six years of undergraduate, then an additional year of internship to get that full-fledged certificate of practice. Mm-hmm. So that makes it seven. So yeah. So where do you do your internship? We used to have placement by the government. I'm not sure if they're still placing as Yeah, they actually are for internship program. Internship is government placed. It's all over the country. So I personally did mine in Elgeo Marakwet County. Elgeo Marakwet County. Mm. Okay. So we'll get back to your experience while you're there. Yes. But like what are the advantages of now having a master's? And is it enough just to do the six years or the five years of the internship and then practice? Um now that becomes almost very personalized because it it's um different people different uh, paths because there are people who are satisfied with being the doctor and you practice and they never need to do their masters mm-hmm. there are people who do masters in things that are outside of the practice of medicine you have guys doing business courses you have guys in mbas mm-hmm. you have people in public health who are going to be policy makers as opposed to practicing doctors so for me, I personally just enjoy the practice of medicine and specifically obstetrics. So it is possible to have it. There are people who do it. But in the day and age we live in now, mm-hmm. I'm finding that more and more people are doing masters because you need to be a specialist in something. For self-satisfaction, for growth, and that's why I'm saying whatever field you're in, because I know it applies even getting business. Whatever you've done at some point, it's just not enough. And it's not only financial aspect of it, it's job satisfaction, it's growth. Mm-hmm. Like, 
when I was in my 20s, I was doing that. In my 30s and 40s, I still can't be doing the same thing. Yeah, mm. okay, you need to progress. Yeah, progression in general. Okay. So, and then, just like you talked about the financial aspects. I mean, after going to school for all those years, would you say that being a doctor is financially rewarding in Kenya? Um. Okay, so there's two ways of looking at it. Huh? Mm-hmm. You can look at it in absolute forms and in relative terms. Eh? Genuinely, having talked to a few of my African colleagues from other areas, they say our remuneration is good. Oh, okay. Uh, so, comparatively, we're not doing too bad, okay. if I'm honest. In absolute terms, we have to also accept, like, if I'm going to compare myself with Uganda... But we understand that life in Uganda is very different from a life in Kenya. Then, in absolute terms, then the monetary reward is not equivalent to what, like, the amount of effort put. Because mm. um, there's, you can look at it in terms of what I'm doing. Is it commensurate to what I'm getting for it? Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, I'll just have to go out and say it. People used to have this one time, not even used to, to date people throw around this term, it's a calling. It's a calling, but I won't go into the supermarket and buy food with a calling, you know. I yeah. can go and say, yeah, give me meat, but you know I'm a doctor. They'll still want money for that. Mm. Give me bread, but you know I'm a doctor. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the day, I still need to pay fees, feed myself, clothe myself. Yeah. Mm. So, money still has to play a role. Yeah, money matters. Mm. Okay. And then, like, there's always this strike every year every other year doctors nurses always striking about this mou that was signed or something and it never went came to pass and then the doctors strike for a full three months that was a record <laughs> i mean do you feel that was properly addressed and then in relation to that i mean like a year or two after the government now decides we're bringing in 47 cuban doctors does that make sense to you like do you see that it's logical or that it's even yeah, to the to the Kenyan workers, the Kenyan doctors. So, so um, for this, I'll not I'll not speak as a representative of the doctors of the unions or anything. No, I'll just speak as a worker by myself. Eh? So mm-hmm. I'm not speaking for anyone in general. Mm-hmm. So I'll say that the way, my perspective of the whole scenario is a lot of dishonesty and incomplete information that is fed to people and you'll find that it's not specific to doctors only we see to teachers as well yeah so it can't be that when doctors have made an agreement with government it's the doctors who have wronged when they make it to the nurses again it's the nurses when it's the teachers it's the teachers at some point you must think all these people are having a fight with one person and that one person always comes out being on you know like the combative one so at some point let's also think what is the government's role in this Mm mm-hmm could it be, and this is now me just saying like in general, could it be that maybe these people who are bringing their grievances, it's true that they're not being, addressed. they're not, yeah, they're not being addressed, they're not being given what they've asked for. And again, not speaking in, what is it called, in a professional or in a representative form or capacity, but if we had made an agreement 2018, 2015, whatever it is, and we say by 2019, I'll pay you X amount of money and I don't pay it. Then in my opinion, it is justified for me to come back and say, hey, I agreed, where's my money? 
Yeah. You know, yeah. when you are making that agreement, you must have forethought. You have plans to anticipate it so that you don't come back and say, hey, these doctors are always striking. These nurses are always striking. At some point also, you have to be held accountable. And unfortunately, the, the idea that there are vital services is, it's a reality. It's a thing that we have to think about. But you also realize these same doctors are living in this same country. We also have our people in those hospitals that you're talking about. So we're not dealing with things in a vacuum. Yeah. Like for us to have stepped out and said, you know what? We must now follow through with whatever we have agreed on. We're also having our people suffering. You'll find that most of us cannot afford these high-end hospitals. We'll still use these same hospitals that we're working in. I still have my people in Bagathi, for example. So when a strike is on, even I am getting affected directly. But we have to take a stand because at the end of the day, the recurrent strikes, we must get to the root cause of it as opposed to just, you know, oh, what, they're not satisfied, they're only striking, no. Yeah, mm. or brushing it aside. So that being said, I don't think a solution is bringing in 47 people for thousands of people. Yeah. Mm. So... <laughs> However you look at it, it's impractical. And again, maybe these factors beyond my own knowledge or understanding, mm-hmm. but I don't believe that is the solution. Because as we speak, I'm sure this is public knowledge. We have very many unemployed doctors. So where is the, where is the solution in that? Like there, do- there is a need for doctors in hospitals. There are doctors not working. Then we go and import yeah. Doctors. So. And not just import them, you import them and pay them premium price. Mm-hmm. And then um, your argument is that um, they're coming to teach skills that mm-hmm. we don't have. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at some point <laughs> you're asking yourself then, is the school not teaching what needs to be taught? Mm-hmm. Or are we so incompetent that we need, again, foreigners once again to come and teach us what to do? Mm-hmm. And um, again, from where? No offense, but yes. these these areas that are known for specific things. I don't think when you think of healthcare, the first thought would be Cuba. That is true. Yeah. So yeah. who are you getting? Even if you were to say, okay, <laughs> our schools are mediocre, we're not training the right thing, would you start by going to Cuba? I feel like if you were to get you'd get a higher level first world type of person as opposed to Cuba. people who are almost peers. No, it's true because they've been in the dark for 30, 40 yeah. years. No internet, no industry. Exactly. So how can they be even doing better than us? Comparably, in my opinion, yeah. it's not. That aside, even the fact that we... This is, a, again, a known fact. They've had to get translators for some of them mm. because they're non-English speakers. Yeah. So we're bridging a gap where there needs not necessarily be a gap. So you're bringing a Spanish person, putting him in El Geomaracuet, so you have to get someone to translate it to perhaps the same English, then English to whatever other language. Yeah. Or Swahili. Because, yeah, you, if you've put them deep in the heart of El Geomaraquet, for example, how is this El Geomaraquet old woman going to speak to that guy? Mm-hmm. Even the translator needs to be okay with Kalenjin and Spanish, for example. Wow. So you see, you'll probably need a third person in between Kalenjin to English, English to Spanish, Spanish to the other guy. You know, that's something to think about. And I don't know if that is something that even the government officials think about or 
they're just like we want to strike a deal here mm-hmm. there's money to be made um and then i'm not sure if you're aware of this but they there was also a batch of kenyan doctors who were sent to cuba again mm-hmm. but when they were sent there they were not sent there with the kind of friendly terms that the cubans came yes so it just so happens that there's even a doctor who committed suicide in mm-hmm. cuba and i found that really sad because these cubans were coming here being paid like from what i read mm-hmm. 800k and then you send the kenyans abroad and they're giving them 30k mm-hmm. i mean they're in a foreign country 30k even here is being mm-hmm. as come on true yeah and you want to send them to a foreign country apparently to study take care of themselves at 30,000 and mm-hmm. then when they ask for more you increase it to 50k um half of what they had said that you you know yeah so um yeah genuinely what you want to give one cuban doctor is almost what you want to give eight local doctors so that's the cost in terms of remuneration alone mm. then you have you know for a fact they are being housed like they're getting houses they're getting fuel cars they're getting genuinely things that are over and above what a local doctor would get yeah. so like you said at the very least you would expect even similar conditions you know but here you like you put it correctly where in a situation where people are getting even less than they would be getting at home yeah uh, and like you put it your student in a foreign country it's a very difficult position to be in um i don't want to speak to rumors but these stories we've been hearing here and there of very difficult conditions where even communication has to be every so often you can't speak freely with your people back home every day mm. and that's why i'm not going to commit to this but i'm saying it has been hard so perhaps you could look for someone who's in a better position of knowledge mm-hmm. to confirm or deny this okay. but uh, it's terrible it's not correct that's true and then um considering that you went all the way to Algeria Marrakech the government normally places let's say the doctor after the 5 or 6 years in yes. these in a hospitals yes. right mm-hmm. so i mean what can you speak of the conditions in these public hospitals um because you also practice at Kenya hospital right in mm-hmm. a hospital yes yeah mm-hmm. so um unfortunately i feel like most or all even public institutions are very poorly run regardless of who you put to be there like the professionals you insert at the hospital like fully qualified doctor but he lacks the tools to perform then whatever scenario you put there like the output will be bad so you're in, in a hospital that has no medication has lacks basic equipment lacks basic facilities so you want to place someone with skills but nothing to work for even let's use the, again the same cuban doctor if you take a cuban doctor who's a fully qualified for example what i've seen they have plastic surgeons mm-hmm. but you don't have theater you don't have um facilities to practice maybe i can use other examples if you put maybe a dentist in a place without a dental chair it's it's going it's just not going to work it's what's the word i'm looking for it's like not cost effective yeah mm. so i'm bringing good skills to a poor facility so what i can say of public hospitals is there is a lot of lack there's lack of medicine there's lack of equipment like i said so it fr- it frustrates frustrates everyone so 
you can imagine yourself maybe a teacher without a pen or chalk yeah you know so there's only so much you can do and how do you feel like um you know, as a doctor the nurses has a role to play um etc those guys who work at the hospital do you feel like they perform at their peak or do you have to take on many hats just so that the place can you know that so you can attend to someone mm-hmm. and even in talk about basic skills like what would be like your routine when you go like maybe tomorrow you mm-hmm. have a shift mm-hmm. Kenyatta to the next mm-hmm. hospital mm-hmm. what's it like okay so um aside from equipment there's also a lot of staffing issues and i've come to appreciate that it's almost every public hospital i've ever worked in there's always a shortage of staff and more so a shortage of nurses um i have to really insist upon the fact that nurses are they are a big deal because they do a lot of a lot of work so we'll give instructions that needs need execution by nurses so if you don't have enough nurses to perform these tasks like you said you'll have to pick up that role picking up that role means you're going to do double the amount of work even with the most motivated person at some point it wears you out yeah now if you're not motivated you can imagine how much you can do like i genuinely am stuck so like you say let's put a scenario of have to work tomorrow at some casualty in a hospital a public hospital in Kenya so what 8am come to work of course we have our mid- morning meetings handovers the works mm-hmm. um you have patients who have registered paid whatever they paid come to you so um we'll start with even stationary you want to request a certain lab a certain investigation a certain imaging you don't have stationery for that okay mm-hmm. if your nurse is held up with another task you'll have to get up go and look for it yourself ideally you might imagine that's not a difficult task and you just get up and pick whatever you're picking but now if it's not there then you're just moving around looking for one thing that is wasting a lot of time right? yeah mm, so you'll do it that's fine Um this same thing you want to ask this patient to do is not offered at your facility. So even the prompt or let's say ideal management of your patient is not going to work because mm-hmm. I want an ultrasound for example to make a decision on your management. Then I told ah you know the ultrasound the machine broke down. So you have to send this person elsewhere. That elsewhere probably is going to cost a lot more than a public facility. So, so the person goes, you cross your fingers you're like I just hope you'll be okay until you come back with whatever I need from you. Yeah. Um next patient comes. Now this one needs intervention immediately. Simple things like IV fluids, IV medications. They're not there. Your nurse has to go source them from somewhere. You have to go and do some other tasks so so if i may ask you where is this somewhere somewhere good where so there's the departments these different departments like we've said we're painting a picture of casualty an accident and emergency department it's grossly understaffed understocked sorry so the person has to go to the wards mm. and hope you can get it from one other ward somewhere 
Um, I'll use an example of my personal experience one time where I was working in casualty at night. Someone came with a cut wound to the head in a properly stocked institution. It's not a complex thing. Clean it out, stitch it up, give antibiotics, let the person go home. Yes. We literally had no saline, the thing you need to clean the wound out. Then I didn't have the stitching set. So literally, so we had to sit with the nurse and figure out you're saying, we don't have a stitching set, we don't, we, there's no way we can help this person. So we just literally just put a bandage on a very minor thing and let the person go to the next facility. So you have to refer a cut to the scalp. You see, that as you do it, you realize, no, that's not correct. Yeah. Uh, but I'm stuck. There's like no it's so to... minor. Like yes. You should not be referring someone mm-hmm. just for a stitching job. For a stitching. Because, and you see now we're in the same scenario I was trying to tell you where you have someone who's capable of solving it. Yeah but he lacks the equipment, the facility to perform that simple task. So we end up overburdening the next institution. If I was perhaps in a, what you'd call district hospital, I have to refer him to a bigger hospital where now they're dealing with very simple things that should be dealt with in other facilities. Okay, guys, now that was part one of a two-part series. The next series should be airing in about two weeks time so please subscribe please share for more stories like this that inspire that inform kenyan youth and you know just if you want to hear something interesting if you have any recommendations any suggestions please leave a comment right there bye